Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 7. John is showing us um, sort of where things are turning in the life of Jesus, in his ministry. At one stage, he was really popular. Everybody was following him. He fed the 5,000 plus. Okay, there were only males that they counted 5,000. They estimate somewhere around 10 to 15, maybe 20,000 people were there that day. And uh, it was an incredible miracle. And remember, they, you know, they challenged him and said, well, you want us to believe in you. Moses, you know, provided bread from out of nowhere. It wasn't Moses. It was God. <laughs> Amen. But, you know, this is how people think. You know, they're always looking to uh, sort of praise a person. And people just get attached to things. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. It's, it's, it's that sort of a mentality. And they're always looking for someone. And you know why they do that? Because that way it relieves them of responsibility. Oh, that person can do it for me. And so, you know, instead of taking responsibility for things and saying, I need to do things, you know, as unto God and, and responsible for doing certain things, it's like, oh, no, no, let the pastor do it. Let somebody else do it. I don't want to pray. You pray. I give you my 20 cents every week. Go, you pray. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Not that you guys, <laughs> you guys are good. But you know what I'm trying to say. You know, we, we're always looking for somebody in the natural to do what we should be doing. And so, you know, they've, they've always got this kind of mentality going on. And, and it's something we always, we have to guard against things like that, by the way. And, um, and so they're coming, they've come to a place now where things are not, uh, looking so good for the Messiah, okay? Uh, and remember again that his brothers challenged him as well and said, you know, why don't you go to the feast? If, you know, if, and they got the wrong idea. If you're not saved, then you look at your sibling and think, oh, gee, he thinks he's the Messiah. He's got a Messiah complex. <laughs> Hello, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, and they're saying, well, you know, if you want that kind of fame, why don't you just go to Jerusalem? You, we, we know you lost all your disciples. Go fix it. And that's what happened in the, in the last section we looked at last week. And so he said, no, my time has not yet come. He, and remember again, when he said that in the, the literal Greek, it said the opportune time has not come yet. He was waiting on God to tell him when to go. Okay, and that's really important that we wait on God, that we're not doing good things outside of God. Can I say that again? Let me, in, in fact, let me change it a little bit, that we're not forced by others to do good things outside of God. You know, some people put pressure on you, and they say, well, if you're a Christian, you should be doing this, and you should be doing this, and you should be going there. You know, I am a Christian, that's why I didn't, some days you want to say that, that's the reason why I'm not going. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but isn't that like a Christian thing? Yes, but I don't want to say anything more than that. There are reasons, and I don't want to say it. You know, remember, don't judge. Be careful how you judge. Amen? Amen. Please be careful. And so, anyway, <laughs> let's just continue on, shall we? So, we're on to verse 14 now. There we go. I did 13 verses, not very well. But anyway, we're, <laughs> we're up to verse 14, and now's the time. Remember, he said, not yet. He didn't say not at all. He just said, not yet. So now the, the yet has come, okay, has come. And it says in verse 14, so let's start there. It says, now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. My goodness. He's, you know, he's, he sort of went in there, remember again, incognito, okay? He was a little bit quiet. And, you know, Jesus wanted to get to the place where he gets up. You know, they, they can't murder him in front of everybody. 
And, you know, they could sort of catch him in the crowd and kind of pull him aside and, you know, oh, he did, move on. You know, I don't know how, oh, look, it's a dead body, okay? Not that that would ever happen, you know, he's Jesus, he's God, you know what I'm trying to say? All right, but, you know, even then, I think it's really interesting that even though Jesus knew that God was looking after him, even though he knew he had supernatural protection, he wasn't stupid. You know, some people do dumb things. You know, they read a verse that says, you know, you shall drink any deadly thing and it won't hurt you. And they go start putting deadly things in their mouth. Because yeah. bless God, the Bible says, and then we're burying you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Seriously. You know, do you know what that's called? Tempting God. Did you hear me? See, we are meant to do everything we, need, we know to do. And that we, we can do. And then wherever we, you know, whatever we miss out on, then God will make up the difference. God doesn't like lazy Christians. Read the book of Proverbs. It says, consider the ant, you lazy so-and-so. <laughs> and I won't go any further. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> let me read some comments here. F uh, finally, the opportun opportune time had come. For him, that's Jesus, to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. And so Jesus was no longer trying to conceal his identity. With Leon Morris saying, he now taught in the temple, which is just about as public an activity as was possible. So my goodness, he, at this point now, he wasn't hiding anything. Okay, And so it goes and say, verse 15, And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters? You know, how silly is this translation? Have you, are you reading this translation and thinking, what does that mean? Okay, I'll tell you in a minute. He says, it doesn't literally say letters. It says, how does this man know the Hebrew scriptures, having never studied? Doesn't that make a lot more sense? Okay. The Newling translation brings out another aspect of what is actually said here. When he translates the verse to read, the Jewish leaders were surprised when they heard him. How does he... And it, you know, in, in the literal text, it says, how does this fellow, okay? No, they're still looking down on him. Yeah. This is a derogatory term to them. Do you understand? So they're saying, how is this fellow, okay, know so much when he hasn't studied everything we've studied? Isn't that interesting? See how people, you know... <laughs> now, let, let me just say this. There's some tremendous things here I want to share, okay? It, this, is, this seems to be the first time that Jesus actually taught in Jerusalem. All right. Even though he had previously performed signs there and defended himself there when accused of making himself equal with God. And so the Jews marveled and asked, where was he educated? Now, I love what, <laughs> I love what William Hendrickson says. He says, Jesus had never received instruction in any of the rabbinical schools. In present-day language, one might say he had failed to receive his degree at an accredited institution. Okay, this is how they're thinking and saying, all right? Therefore, whatever he, must, uh, he said must be wrong. Did you get that? He didn't come from our school, so everything he says must be wrong. Isn't this incredible? This is the way religion is. The implication was that Jesus was simply uttering his own private opinions about religious matters, and therefore that one should refuse to listen to him any longer. Wow. I want to stop there for a second. Can we park for a minute? 
Okay, because <laughs> sometimes I go through these things so quickly you miss out on what's important. I need you to understand something. This is very similar to John the Baptist. He didn't go to their schools either. He just went out there, you know, and I mean, he just preached a storm. He wouldn't even stay in the city where the temple was. You know, by, by you know, putting distance between, him, between himself and the temple, he was showing outwardly how far the temple was off track. Are you all with me? He was basically saying, now I'm saying that to say something, okay? He was letting everybody know that the temple is corrupt and it's just off track. There's nothing about God in there anymore. You want to find God, you need to get away from there and come out here. Are you all with me? And you know, sometimes that's what God has to do in society. Sometimes people get, you know, they'll start out well. It's really sad that people start out well. It seems to be the case where people start out well and then somewhere along the way they get religious. Somewhere along the way, it's suddenly, they're looking for comfort. I told you people sort of want things, you know. And they, they just think, oh, if we swing this and we light that and we polish that and you know, whatever, okay. Uh, we sing hymn number 55 every week and, you know, whatever. They'll, those are the things that are going to do it for us. That's not how it works. You know, God is new every morning. He says, sing to me a new song. Please. <laughs> a little tired of some of them old ones. Especially when they're unbelief. Now there are some brilliant old hymns. I mean they are based on the word of God. But I'll guarantee you they'll take those out. And put something else in there that. <laughs> why? 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 Are you all here? You know we really need to be careful. To look out for things like this. And that we're not trying to conform to the world. That's, that's the reason why it says, you know, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's where all the problems are. That's where God's good and acceptable and perfect will are. Amen? And so we just always need to be careful. We need to be watchful. We need to never get into a rut. Okay? Be careful. Some days you do have to get away from, you know, what's tradition and everything else to find God. Do whatever it takes to find God. Amen? Okay, verse 16. And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Now, the reason that Jesus says this is because at, the time in, at that time in history, originality was frowned upon. Say what? <laughs> okay. Uh, this is the truth. Originality was frowned on. Okay. The rabbinic method was to cite authorities for all the important statements. Somewhere somebody important had said something and we can't ever get beyond that. You might say, well, we don't do that today. Are you kidding me? We still do that. We're still saying, oh, we can't do anything that the apostles did. Oh, they could heal people and they could do this and they could. But that all died with the last apostle. Which last apostle? And why did Jesus say, anybody that believes these signs will follow, not the apostles? Not the ordained? Not the ones that have gone to the right schools? And once they show their degree, then God says, hmm, okay, all right, okay, you can do a few miracles. 
No. <laughs> okay. He said these signs will follow anybody who believes. And you know, in, in, that, in that verse it says, believes in my name, I really think there's an overlap there. It is both that they believe in his name, which is the equivalent of believing in the person, and that also in my name they shall do all of these things. Uh, you all with me? Okay, no, never mind. Okay, <laughs> it's too early, it's too early. All right. <laughs> so, Jesus does the same. He, except in his case, he says, his doctrine, he's saying, I am citing someone, except it's none of you guys. He says, I'm citing someone, and, you know, my doctrine is coming from God himself. Go be that. Amen. In his commentary, John MacArthur sums it up by saying, the qualitative difference of Jesus' teaching was found in its source. It originated from God the Father himself, in contrast to rabbis who cited it from men. I had said a mouthful, didn't it? See, this is the reason why there's you know, people that just leave sort of the, the, the institution, so to speak. They get out there, stick up a tent, and then they just preach up a storm, and they're getting people saved left, right, and center. And everybody gets upset. And they say, well, you know, that fellow didn't get all the right qualifications and he's just out there and he's just, you know, whatever. You know, these people, they have a touch of God. They have God's hand on their life. They have God's blessing on them. And it saddens me that people are still looking for intellect as the qualification to go into ministry. If you don't pass all our courses and don't get your certificate, then you shouldn't be in ministry. And there are some people who, you know, I mean, they'd fail all the tests. But boy, I tell you, you give them a passage of scripture and dear God, they can get a, a duck saved. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, the anointing is there. The presence is there. The power is there. God is there. See, it saddens me that people don't recognize that and say, dude, or do that, okay? <laughs> You've got a call of God in your life. Let's give you some education. And let's not worry about you passing exams because there's some people that are professional students. They can pass all the exams and they fail at life. But they got 100% on the exam. Are you all here? You want the person that's got the calling, then give them some education. Don't worry about too much about the exam, man. They'll get what they need. Trust God to give them what they need. You do your job. Let God do His, and then let Him loose. <laughs> <laughs> you know? If we just did that, we'd, we'd be in heaven today. There are so many out there that don't fit into that box. That God put aside, because that's how the devil works, see? Hmm? And instead of, you know, having these passionate people that are preaching from the heart of God, they've got professional preachers eloquently ministering on the Word of God. Hmm. And everybody goes home with, I don't know what the guy said. <laughs> instead of what, the, what those two guys on the road to May said, when they realized it was Jesus, remember how Jesus just joined them, walked with them, ate with them, and suddenly disappeared and said, didn't our hearts 
burn within us when he spoke. Oh, that's what you're looking for. Amen. Spat all of my notes. All right, so. <laughs> Where was I? Okay, yes. Jesus is going to say, verse 17. He says, if anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Now, William McDonald, I, I want to give you two things on this, okay? First, William McDonald writes, he says, There is a wonderful promise here for everyone earnestly seeking the truth. If a person is sincere and truly wants to know what is the truth, God will reveal it to him or her. Did you hear what I just said? You know, if you really want to know, remember these people are looking for anything to accuse him of. They want to criticize everything he does. Well, God's not going to talk to people like that. Are you kidding me? Their heart is wrong. Are you all here? Amen? And so he's saying, this is what he's bringing out. You know, one of the things he's saying is, if you really want to know, God will talk to you. If God's not talking to you, you don't really want to know. You might have the appearance of wanting to know, but it might be more of a brain thing than a heart thing. You know, sometimes we get curious about things. Oh, I'd like to know, you know. It's like, don't expect a lot back from that one. But I tell you, in your heart, if you go, God, I really want to know. Whoo, the floodgates will open, <laughs> okay? And God will speak into your heart. I don't know how many times people have said that they met the Lord. And all the mental questions went out the window. And the things that they had on their heart are the things that came up. And then once he walked away, suddenly they thought, wait, I wanted to know about how big was this and how long was it? Didn't matter. That didn't matter. That's why you didn't ask it, because it, honestly, it didn't matter. Your brain is playing games. This stuff matters. Okay. The other thing, added to this, John MacArthur writes, he says, those who are fundamentally committed to doing God's will. Remember he said, if anyone wants to do his will. Remember that? Okay. All right. So those who are fundamentally committed to doing his will will be guided by him in the affirmation of his truth. God's truth is self-authenticating through the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? In other words, okay, let me just give it to you in simple form, all right? The Holy Spirit will let you know that what you are hearing is genuine truth, and that is coming, that it's coming from God. Do you understand? See, this is something about the Word of God. This is why it is so important that you minister the Word from the Spirit with the presence of God. With God talking to you about it, rather than just, you know, from your intellect. Do you understand? You're not professionally preaching to people. You are talking to their hearts. You're ministering to people's hearts. So you need to make sure that you, you get a hold of God's heart as you're ministering to people. Are you all with me? And then they'll get it. And then they'll take something home with them. And it needs to not be too complicated. My goodness, there's complicated stuff out there. Oh, you don't know. <laughs> and I won't go into it. <laughs> Verse 18. He who speaks from, him, from himself seeks his own glory or his own advancement, in the literal text it says. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Now, this is... Now, I want you to notice a couple of things here. I want you to notice that Jesus is now turning the focus on God. 
Notice he first says, if anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So he's saying, listen, you need to understand that everything I'm saying to you, where I'm coming from, is God. It's not all of your authorities and not all the stuff that you think is right. I am giving you what is right, straight from the source. Hallelujah, you want that. <laughs> Amen? And then he says in verse 18, he who speaks from himself. So he's saying, this is the reason why I'm not speaking from myself. The reason that I'm speaking from God is because it's different. It's, it's, it's something totally different to what you guys, because they were all into, uh, I'll, I'll give you a quote in a minute, but they were all into uh, kind of, how can I put this, uh, elevating each other, you know, and patting each other on the back. Oh, that was a good quote. You actually got that from Rabbi, what's his face? You know, 20 million years ago or something. Oh, yeah, that's great, man. That was really well put together and stitched together. That was a good argument, you know, with great presuppositions and great conclusions and all those things. And all the people in the congregation are scratching their head going, what happened? Did you get that? I didn't get it. I don't know what they went. You know, they did it again. They confused us. We were happy before we walked in. Now we're okay. (laughs) That's the reason why... That it, it was astonishing what Jesus did. He brought it down to their level. He started talking to them plainly, and even then they couldn't get half of which tells you something. Had they been educated correctly in the synagogue, they would have got him straight away. Do you hear what I'm saying? Which means they had learned nothing. And so he's, he's, you know, he starts to teach on a very basic level, and notice they can't even get that. So he says, okay, uh, check out the birds. And they go, oh, okay. And they say, see how they, they, you know, how God looks after them? And he goes, yeah, yeah, God will do the same thing for you. <laughs> oh, okay. And don't worry about what you wear. See, see the flowers? See how beautiful, you know, they're dressed. God will dress you in the same way. Oh, okay. They probably went home going, I got that sermon. Did you get that sermon? I got the sermon too. That's really good. (laughs) For once we understood. That's important. Okay. So he says, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. In other words, he's looking for all these things, all right? But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Now, John MacArthur explains, while other saviors and messiahs acted for their own selfish interests, thereby revealing their falseness, Jesus Christ as God's Son came solely to glorify the Father and accomplish the Father's will. Added to this, William Hendrickson, I really like this, (laughs) makes the observation, they... Those, those that are accusing him, okay? Were the very people who were always seeking to promote their own glory. Even to such an extent that six months after this Feast of Tabernacles, their envy caused them to deliver up Jesus to be crucified. They just could not take it that there was such an interest in Jesus on the part of the crowds. Hence, while he was the truly reliable one in whom there was no deceit of any kind, They were the ones whose religion, in spite of all their outward show of zeal for the law, was nothing but a false pretense. Boy, I thought I'd said it really well. Can I just say this? Be careful of those people that are judgmental. 
You know, that usually comes from a root of something is wrong with them. It always amazes me that the smartest, the brightest, won't criticize people. I mean, the really, the true smart and bright ones, okay? Not the ones that think that are smart and bright. Okay, all right, <laughs> okay? But the real, the true smart, bright people, I've noticed something about them that they can find anything to praise. If there is anything that is good, that is lovely, that is of good report, they think on those things. They have this ability to lift you up. They have this ability to say, well done. They don't say, well, I got that revelation about 10 years ago. Well, maybe in about 10 years, you'll catch up to me. And you, you know, you've had this wonderful revelation. You walk off like, like being just beat over the head. They won't ever do that. Are you here? Jesus is that way. He'll always encourage. He always loves. You know, you do something and he'll smile and go, you know, you might say, I prayed for 10 minutes. Now he prays all night. And I'm just using a little poetic license here, okay? But you you know what he'll do? He'll go, that is wonderful. Keep at it. You'll find that you want to do more. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. See, that's encouraging. That's how you want to be. But those people that are criticizing, usually there's something wrong on the inside because criticism, can you, please listen to me, criticism comes from the devil, which means to criticize you're listening to his voice, not God's voice. Do you hear me? Because God will always see good in people. Now he'll let you know when something is off. We're not blind. But we need to be careful how we deal with those things. But God has this ability of always showing you what's good and what's right. And so you'll have something to praise people over. Or you won't say anything. Okay. (laughs) Okay. As William McDonald puts it, it should be the ambition of every servant of the Lord to glorify God rather than self. Amen. Verse 19. Now this gets a little interesting. Jesus then goes on to say, Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you seek to kill me? (laughs) There's a fair bit in this. Let me just quickly get through it, okay? Jesus reminds them, first of all, that Moses gave them the law. Okay, that's where he starts. And while they gloried in the fact that they possessed the law, they had conveniently forgotten that there was no virtue in merely possessing the law because the law itself demanded that you also keep it. So it wasn't like, oh, I got this book. It's mine, 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 mine. Yeah, but what does it say? Number one, it says don't be covetous. Oh, not mine. (laughs) You know, okay. Specifically, now I said, I ended with saying, because the law itself demanded that you also keep it. Specifically, Exodus 20, verse 13, which expressly forbade murder. We all know that, right? Okay. And so based on on the fact that they had been given the law and were well aware of it, he does two things now. First, he lets them know that at this very moment, he is reading their hearts. And is well aware of their murderous intents. Which in itself is a sin. You know, if you do it in your heart. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Okay. 
I won't go there. All right. <laughs> it's too much here to do. All right. Second, he says in seeking and actually plotting to murder him, none of them were honoring the Lord that they so boastfully said they were the guardians of and would do anything to keep. Amen. So, we, you know, we, we see two things going on here. He says, number one, I can read your hearts. I know what you're thinking. And you are disobeying the very law that you are so proud of. That you say that you are the guardians of. And yet you are going, you know, specifically against what it says in wanting to kill me. Okay. Verse 20. The people answered and said, you have a demon. Who is he going to kill you? You know, people get defensive, don't they? You know, you say something, you point something out, you go, well, you've got the problem. I don't have a problem, you have a problem. <laughs> Hello. Anybody that went down that road, don't put your hand up. William McDonald writes, the people felt the sharp edge of Jesus' accusation, but rather than admitting he was right, they began to abuse him. They said that he had a demon, and they challenged his statement that any of them were seeking to kill him. And verse, so it goes and says, verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, one, one, <laughs> and you all marvel, okay? Now this goes back to where it all started. You all remember? The miraculous healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day with D.A. Carson saying that one work, that one work evoked astonishment. Not the astonishment that leads to praise, but the astonishment that someone would actually tell another to carry his mat on the Sabbath day openly flouting the accepted norms of Sabbath conduct. How dare they? Was no astonishment whatsoever that the guy got healed. Isn't that sad? It was all about, are you carrying a bed? Yeah, I got healed. You're carrying a bed on the Sabbath day. Uh, I got healed. How dare you carry? Who said you could carry a bed? I got healed. What fellow told you could carry a bed? It's like, oh my. You know, now, this guy is spineless. I am sorry to say. We're going to get to John chapter 9. I can't wait to get to this other guy. Oh, Jesus is going to heal the person that was blind. And he, oh, I like, I want to meet this guy in heaven, you know. And he's just, he's just going to let them have it right between their eyes, so to speak. They're going to do the same thing as they did with this guy and question him and carry on. And, and he's going to say, and I'm giving this away a little bit, but I, I just can't help it. Okay, but <laughs> I just want to show you a contrast. He's going to say, oh, you want to know so much about him. Do you too want to be his disciples? And they get all mad and they're cussing out of their mouth and everything else. <laughs> These religious people. <laughs> Amen. But yeah, not this one. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> to this, William McDonald then adds, I've got to finish, I'm, I'm out of time, aren't I? All right, it was at this point that they began their vicious plot to kill him. Jesus goes on to say, verse 22, Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. This is going back to Abraham, okay? And he says, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. In other words, now he's bringing, he's going to bring something out. If I can just get through this today, that would be good. Can you guys hang with me a little bit? All right. I think it's just one more verse in me there. 
and we, we can leave it there. I don't want to, but we, we can leave it there. All right, so in other words, Jesus says that the law of Moses commanded that a male child should be circumcised eight days after he was born, even if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath. Accordingly, the Jews did not consider it wrong to circumcise the child on that day because they felt that it was a work of necessity and that God would allow it. Please follow me. Okay, he's making a brilliant argument here. Verse 23. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me that I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? In other words, Jesus effectively says, if the law allowed for a work of necessity on the Sabbath, why would it not also allow for a work of mercy on the same day? <coughs> Sunk their ships. He keeps doing that to them. They come up with all these arguments and he just lets them have it right between the eyes. And then he goes in to say, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He's saying, you guys keep doing this all the time. You keep getting everything messed up. You judge the wrong thing, you look at the wrong thing, you pay attention to all the wrong things. Your view is just skewed. Remember it is in this book, one chapter from now, that he's just going to turn around to them and say to all of them in, in verse 44, eight, John 8:44, you are all of your father devil. Because you people are not listening, you are listening to the devil, you're not listening to God at all. And he says... What the devil wants to do is what you are going to do, is what you want to do. Amen? So, <laughs> I ran out of time. All right, let me just finish this. In other words, G, uh, these Jews, now these are a specific group of Jews, okay? These Jews were judging things according to outward appearance instead of inward reality. And therefore, their judgment was imperfect and unrighteous. For the Jews that prided themselves on the knowledge of scriptures, they should have remembered 1 Samuel 16, 7. Who knows what that says? They did. We don't memorize it all, but they prided themselves in memorizing all this stuff. It said, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have refused him. Remember Jesse's kids? Bring them all in. One of them is a king. Jesse leaves David out there. He goes, oh, i got a runt out there. We don't want that one. Here are the handsome ones. These ones will do well in politics. They got the right smile. Ding. You know, <laughs> and the personality and the height. And okay. <laughs> and he says, he says, for he says, I have refused them. He says, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen. William McDonald writes, who finished with this, the Lord Jesus had not broken the law of Moses. It was they who were breaking it by their senseless hatred of him. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today for your word. and We thank you, Lord, for all that we are learning in this. And I thank you that it, is, that it helps us to guard against things in our life. That we're looking in the right direction. That we don't get caught up in what man says is important. That we're not necessarily looking for man's approval. That's not to say, Lord, that those that you have placed with us to look after us, that we don't listen to them. But that we're not looking for glory. 
We want to see you smile. We want to see you nod your head. We want to see you pleased more than anything else. Hallelujah. And I just thank you, Father, that today each heart looks to glorify you, not self, in everything that they do. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>